I'm really sorry if I made a fool out of you. I really am. Uh, no. No, listen, no, I no. really am. I you, you do not feel sorry for me. The truth is, I knew it was you. Now, maybe I didn't get the cuffs on you, but I knew. Oh, people only know what you tell them, Carl. Well, then tell me this, Barry Allen Secret Service. How did you know I wouldn't look in your wallet? The same reason the Yankees always win. Nobody can keep their eyes off the pinstripes. The Yankees win because they have Mickey Mantle. No one ever bets on the uniform. <sighs> you sure about that, Carl? Hello and welcome to the Weekly Real Podcast. My name is Ken. And my name is Jeremy. And uh, this week we are going to be talking about Steven Spielberg's Catch Me If You Can. Uh, But before we talk about Catch Me If You Can, we actually did get some sad uh, movie news over this past weekend. Uh, We found out that uh, Sean Connery passed away at the age of 90. And so for those of you who don't know Sean Connery, uh, he is best known for being the first James Bond. And he also starred in films such as The Untouchables, uh, The Hunt for Red October and The Rock. And so that being said, Jeremy, um, did you have do you have a favorite Sean Connery film? Well, to be to be honest, I haven't seen that many Sean Connery movies. Like going through his IMDb, I don't think I got a chance to really watch him that much. Probably because he retired. Uh, it seems like based like early two thousands. So that's like really the time that I you know grew up and uh, was getting into movies. So unfortunately, you know, I didn't really get to see you know his heyday. Uh, but I guess my default would be the The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i figured uh what would you like about the rock dude i mean just his chemistry with uh with nick cage so good yeah, yeah. oh and plus uh, it's iconic the way he says oh welcome to the rock yeah, <laughs> yeah. a horrible sean connery because <laughs> you know have you been to alcatraz i have i've been uh, a couple times just you know taking visiting family members um, but I have never done the night tour and I hear it's way better at night. And so I definitely want to do that one of these days, uh, when COVID ends. Oh yeah. I'm down. Cause I've never been to Alcatraz and you know, we, I've lived here for how long. And so I've never gone there. Oh shoot. Yeah. We definitely got to put that on the uh, schedule. Um, hopefully maybe next year we'll see. Hopefully maybe yeah, we'll towards <laughs> 12 months, hopefully. <laughs> And you know what? I, I completely understand what you're coming from because, you know, obviously uh, in his heyday, it was, you know, during the like basically the Bond franchise. And that was before my time, too. And so like with um, with some of the movies that I did mention uh, at the top of the uh, episode, you know, like uh, you know The Rock or The Hunt for Red October and The Untouchables, all that's all those movies came out in, I want to say, the late 80s or early 90s around that time. And so I kind of caught the tail end of when he was still making regular films. So that being said, uh, my favorite Sean Connery film is actually a, a 
a movie where he played a supporting role, but a, a pretty major supporting role. I love Sean Connery in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, where he plays Dr. Henry Jones, uh, Indy's dad, um, because that is easily my favorite indie uh, movie uh, out of the, I think, four, is it? Like, they only had that one Shia LaBeouf one, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I keep hearing that they're trying to make another one. Um, and so I don't Shia? know where. I don't know with Shia though, <laughs> but I think it's still uh, attached with Harrison Ford. Uh, mm. But I, I got to look that up. Uh, um, so uh, don't kill me, uh, audience, if if I'm completely wrong on that. I didn't really do that much research on it. Uh, but it's easily my favorite out of the four that I know of. Uh, it, it's just really funny the banter between um, he and uh, Harrison Ford. Uh, they have really good on-screen uh, chemistry together, and uh, I just thought it was hilarious also. Kind of a minor, minor spoiler for a movie that's been out for like 30 years. I thought it was pretty funny that uh, both he and Indy hooked up with the same girl in the movie. <laughs> and I just thought it was very James Bond-esque of uh, Steven Spielberg to portray Sean, uh, Sean Connery's character kind of in that manner, just like he would in James Bond in any of the James Bond films. So um, yeah, I just wanted to uh, kind of mention that um, kind of honor Sean Connery um, in all the work that he's done. And so um, uh, rest in peace, Sean Connery. And so moving on to our podcast ritual, we have this weekly ritual that me and Jeremy started when we were uh, basically still planning out this podcast. Um, And so for those of you who are checking out our podcast for the very first time, uh, we have this uh, podcast ritual uh, at the top of every episode where me and Jeremy try to discuss and bring up uh, one movie or TV show that we've watched within the last week. And so uh, Jeremy, uh, is there a movie or TV show that you would like to share for this week? So besides my continuing watching of supernatural because you know there's 15 seasons of that and i'm still on like season two or something like that uh but besides that i guess this is kind of minor spoilers for the mandalorian season two episode one i actually watched the movie hitman 2007 starring uh tim lee oliphant and he plays all right um, uh, what's his name? The Marshal, Cobb, Cobb Vanth in The Mandalorian. This is this was completely um, coincidence that I watched um, Hitman. It was so it was like because you know Hitman is based off like the the video game Hitman and that series. And so when when I saw that they were they had this on Amazon Prime, I was like, oh, I I actually didn't know they came out with like Hitman movies. And I've never really heard it because, you know, there's the infamous uh, or they video game movies have the notoriety of being kind of bad. So but I never seen like Hitman included, maybe Hitman 47, but not this 2007 version. So I was wondering if it could possibly be good. It was okay. It was okay. Maybe it's like guilty pleasure level type movie. Okay. Okay. Oh, interesting. So did you plan on watching that or you just stumbled upon it? 
Yeah, because I, I had it like saved on my list um, for a few weeks now, and I finally got mm. a chance to watch it. And then I'm like, hey, it's the same guy from Mandalorian. It's, oh, that's now funny. he's just bald. Uh, that's pretty funny. Uh, just the, the coincidences sometimes that you run into when you're just watching random stuff. It's like, hey, I know that actor. That person is in whatever. <laughs> so I would imagine that's kind of how that felt uh, this past week, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely good character in Mandalorian, and I thought he did a really good job actually in in Hitman too. Yeah, I I completely agree. I, I felt like uh, this Mandalorian season two premiere was a really good one. It definitely brought back the feels uh, from last fall. Well, the movie that I wanted to sh- uh, share this week, actually, it's not a movie, but a TV show. And I believe you mentioned it um, earlier um, in some of the prior episodes. But I know I'm a-, a little late to this because season two already just recently wrapped up. But I finally started watching The Boys on Amazon. And so I've gotten uh, the first four episodes of season one done. So about halfway done. And I'm liking it so far. I think it's a fun concept. Uh, I, I'm i kind of kicking myself for not uh, watching it earlier, uh, especially since a couple of my friends were telling me to watch it when season one was still going on. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I hope to be caught up fairly soon because I'm only... Wait, how many episodes were in season two? Uh, I want to say eight, maybe. I forgot. Eight or ten. I forgot. Something like that, yeah. yeah. So if, a- if, it is, if, if it is eight, I only have 12 to go, but you know what? Let me go check IMDb real quick. That's always the uh, the great equalizer, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay, do, just... do you have a favorite character in The Boys? Oh, man, that's a, that's a tough question, just because I feel like I haven't spent enough time with any of the characters just yet, but there isn't any characters that I hate, hmm. we'll just say. I, I do like... Um, uh billy billy butcher billy butcher yeah yeah i do like uh, carl urban i mean dude that guy's epic (laughs) yeah i can't tell i think that's his real accent but like emphasized to like a thousand yeah i think he's just badass and i i like uh i i do like huey in he plays that neurotic kind of brainiac uh character and i don't I, I feel like he's been pretty good so far. That's Jack um, Quaid, the son of uh, Meg Ryan and Dennis, Dennis? Quaid. <laughs> oh, shoot. I didn't, know, I didn't that. know that. And I'm like, I could totally see it, though. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, well, I mean, obviously, I just got uh, re- introduced to, like, the four so far. Uh, what was it? Uh, Frenchie. And who's the uh, who's the other guy? That they, is, it, that- is it M.M. Mother's Milk? I think so. Uh, the black guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I- I'm liking it so far. I, li- I like those four characters. They play off of each other really good. They got a good dynamic. And then obviously, uh, like the different feel of how they're portraying superheroes with the seven. And I remember the first episode that I watched, I was like, what is going on? It just caught me off guard, uh, mm-hmm. the pilot a- in a good way. And so I was like, oh, okay, I need to recalibrate my expectations. <laughs> By the way, I just checked. It is eight episodes for season two. Oh, okay. So just 12 more to go. 12 more to go. I feel like I could do that in a week, 
maybe two if I kind of uh, if I let uh, stuff kind of breathe a little bit. I think you'll like it. I, I think so too. I think so too. Uh, so uh, before we get into uh, the rest of the episode uh, where we're talking about Catch Me If You Can, let's uh, do a little bit of episode cleanup. And so last week. Uh, we talked about the 2020 Academy Award winner for Best Picture, Parasite. And so uh, this past Tuesday, we ran a poll. And so, Jeremy, do you want to reveal to the audience what the poll was and what the results were? Yeah, so last week, our poll that we ran was, what is your favorite 2020 Academy Award nominee for Best Picture? So some of the, obviously, some of the nominees were Ford v. Ferrari, the Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time, and the movie that we talked about last week, Parasite. So we we got some pretty good votes on this one, but Parasite did went in, end up winning our polls at 42% of the votes. And then Ford v. Ferrari got second place at 25%. Oh, nice. Nice. And so I just wanted to remind you all that uh, every Tuesday after a brand new episode, and we have episodes every Monday. uh, So the following day, we run our poll on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And so, uh, Jeremy, what's our uh, social medias again? At Weekly Real. All right. And so, yes, uh, be on the lookout for... Uh, the poll uh, that will be coming out uh, Tuesday for Catch Me If You Can. And so speaking of, this week we are covering a film about a young man who keeps slipping through the fingers of the FBI as he plays many different roles while committing check fraud in the 2002 Steven Spielberg movie Catch Me If You Can, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. And so... Um, I had seen this film uh, a few times. It had been a while since I watched it. But prior to this past week, Jeremy had not seen Catch Me If You Can. And so, Jeremy, um, did you have any expectations uh, before watching Catch Me If You Can? So I didn't even know this was a Spielberg movie, (laughs) like honestly, because I, you know, I heard of it, Catch Me If You Can, and I didn't know it was by Spielberg. and. I don't know. I should have known, uh, but I kind of knew the basic premise, you know, that um, Tom Hanks's character, Hanratty's trying to like catch Leo's character and all that stuff. But other than that, I didn't have too much expectations. Like I didn't even know who the director was. Obviously (laughs) everyone knows who Spielberg is, but like when I started watching the movie, I'm like, wait a minute, who directed this movie? And then, you know, the opening credits directed by Steven Spielberg. I'm like, Oh, that's why <laughs> this movie has like it, and it ended up being like really good yeah i don't know it, it it's he's definitely got a, a certain feel to his movies and, and it it just f- seems like a huge event um you know obviously whenever i watch a steven spielberg movie it's an event i feel like it's a it's gonna be a huge release regardless uh for the most part and so um did you have any first impressions uh, while watching the film. So, like I said, I really liked, I really loved the movie. Uh, I, I didn't actually expect it to be more serious than it was. I think 
my impressions or my expectations came from like the poster where you have like Tom Hanks chasing him with that little like very lighthearted poster. Uh, so I didn't actually expect to get into like the more serious themes of, of the movie. And I think that was my first impressions were this is like really the way they balance the movie uh, between the light story, like the fun stuff, right. Of him role playing and all that stuff mixed with the, the drama of like family and divorce. I think like they balance that really well. Oh no, I agree. Um, I just, I, I felt like, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio did a really good job in terms of uh, being able to switch uh, things up. Um, he was able to, um, you know, keep it, you know, serious for like all the family related things. And then he was also able to, um, you know, w- when, when we got to the whole like plot and, you know, him showing uh, off like how he would pull off some of the check fraud or how he would be able to kind of switch between different roles. That's where I feel like he did a really good job in in terms of keeping it light. Right. Yeah. Leo, man, he was so good in this movie just to, cause I don't think all actors can jump from like a comedic scene straight to like another like dramatic moment that, that easily and that quickly. And yeah, I, there was times in this movie I was genuinely like, laughing but at the same time it's like man sometimes you really want to like shed a tear i know especially with um with his dad who was portrayed by um christopher walken right like like their whole relationship on screen was really good wasn't it yeah dude their chemistry was really good and like just they really felt like father and son and at some points or some angles i'm like oh man they kind of like he could be like an older version of him but uh yeah just that, that especially that scene in the movie where he has to like choose between his parents who he oh, wants to live with i was yeah. i was totally dying i was like oh you can't do that to like a 16 year old boy man i know you're you're putting yourself in his shoes right like you were just mm-hmm. trying to say like dude if i was in that position i'd probably probably do something similar where i would just want to run away because there's no way that you could pick between your parents. Yeah, and I would imagine for for uh, you know kids that have like divorced parents that there, there's there's just like no winning in that in that situation, and it, this movie's almost like the like what I wish would happen type type scenario. It's like I wish I could just run away and uh, play all these different people and be someone else. And have this fantastical, like, chase and all that stuff. I know. I, I thought they did a really good job, especially in the beginning. Because, you know, there really was a lot to unpack in terms of, if you think about, like, all the different roles that he had to play. Um, and obviously, they wanted to show, you know, peel the behind the curtain so that they could kind of show what was going on and, like, how... Frank Abagnale was able to pull some of this stuff off. But they also had to kind of fast track a lot of the uh, the family stuff and i felt like the movie was paced really good mm-hmm. oh and one of my uh kind of first expectations when i saw frank frank jr right uh i thought he was going to be a bit of a punk actually when you first see him because he's you know his dad's like rich and all that stuff you think he's going to be uh kind of like a bratty kid but he wasn't like 
the whole movie, you were kind of like rooting for him the whole time. Like you felt bad for him. You related with him just from beginning to end. Like he was a really enjoyable character to watch. <laughs> even though he's committing crimes. <laughs> yeah. Even though he's committing crimes, but it's not like he's like hurting people. Right. So it's like, I think that's why it's like yeah. he's committing crimes, but it's like, he's not actually hurting anyone. He's just stealing money, I guess. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just stealing $4 million. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Well, I mean, uh, did you have over any overall thoughts on the film as a whole? Like it could be, um, I don't know, s- certain themes or just a story, the story as a whole. Well, yeah, I really liked the movie. Um, for some reason, I got this like Forrest Gump vibe to it. Not not because it had Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks. in it, <laughs> um, but it had that that kind of like levity to it. Uh, but because you know how in Forrest Gump, you know, you have all the the drama stuff with Jenna and all that stuff, right? So, right. Uh, obviously, I think Forrest Gump's more lighthearted, but I for some reason I got that that vibe. Uh, from this movie, which is weird because I'm like, wait a minute, Forrest Gump wasn't Spielberg. Um, it was Robert Zemeckis. And, um, but yeah, I really like the the family aspect of the movie. I didn't expect that actually uh, between, you know, uh, Frank Jr. and Frank Sr. I thought that was really good. Uh, and it's just crazy to think that this, he was, playing a 16 year old so later on (laughs) when he was uh when he was like talking to amy adams (laughs) and it threw you off right with us like wait i was trying to do the math i was like wait how old is he he supposed to be (laughs) yeah he's like i'm not i'm not really 28 years old and i'm like oh yeah i forgot (laughs) it was like what 19 or around that around that age i forget like he he was 16 and i think by the time he got caught um oh shoot maybe you're right no yeah he may he might have been 19 i think you're right yeah i think by the time i think by the time he uh became like a doctor i think he was right around that age mm-hmm. um and that's when he <laughs> that's when he met with uh amy adams's character yeah because it, it the the movie takes place from what 63 to 69 69 yeah, yeah about six years so if he was 16 yeah he uh Towards the end of the film, well, before, you know, obviously they do that flash forward uh, once, you know, he's in, in jail or whatever. But right when he gets caught, it was in 1969 in Mont, Mont- Richard. I butchered that. <laughs> <laughs> How old was um, Leo in, in the, at this point in time? It was 2002, right? Yeah. You know what? How old sure. is Leo? <laughs> I, I want to say he's like 40, but I know he's older than that. Let's go check it out. I have it right here. Leo was born in 74. So in 02, he was 28. Oh, dang. Oh, 27, 28. I would imagine they were probably, uh, they were filming in 01 or around or beginning of 02, something like that. So 27, 28. Yeah, because I could, I could buy like his mannerisms from when he was like, if he was playing a teenager and then they really aged him up well, I guess, to his proper age, closer oh, to his know. proper age. I'm yeah, like, when, ooh, they did really good. Yeah, especially remember when he was working for the FBI, he was, they really aged him up a lot. <laughs> it was that weird haircut. I was like, dude, that haircut does not look good. <laughs> yeah, it, it looked all dry. 
<laughs> yeah. I was like, dude, he looked like he was balding a little bit too. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did Maybe they did they much. did they ever say how old he was supposed to be during that uh during that time when you know they were portraying the FBI portion of it? I don't know actually. Hmm. Yeah. Because I, I assumed that it was maybe, I don't know how long he actually spent in prison. I don't, I forgot what they, if, if they mentioned that. Because he was supposed to serve 12 years, but he must have got out early to actually work for the FBI. So he must have been like in his 20s, maybe like Leo's actual age at the time, maybe like late 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about you? Uh, how did you see Catch Me If You Can initially? I remember uh, it was uh, not too long after uh, its release because I think it it got released in late 2002 uh, for, you know, Oscar season, right? And so I want to say it was uh, probably within a year after that, um, just on Comcast On Demand when I still had Comcast. I just remembered uh, seeing the film, but at the time I wasn't really watching movies in the theater. And so I just remember just putting it on just because it was, um, you know, it was like a really good cast. I remember, you know, obviously Leo and Tom Hanks are our headliners. They were headliners. Uh, now they're, they were definitely headliners back then. And, uh, yeah, I just decided to just play it. And I was just thoroughly entertained by the film because of how versatile it was. I mean, we're, we mentioned it a little while ago in that it's such a versatile movie. I mean, it could be serious. It could have, you know, themes related with family. So you can kind of relate to that part, but it's also fun because, you know, you get to see someone portray different, um, different uh, occupations, different roles. Uh, And then there's that whole chase aspect of, you know, the FBI trying to catch like a, a a criminal, uh, but kind of doing it in a fun and entertaining way. And so uh, I just remember watching this film and, and uh, you know, it's one of those films that I can rewatch a lot. Um, we here at the weekly real podcast, we talk about rewatchability and I feel like this is definitely one of my favorite movies. And, and, uh, and that's why I wanted to make sure you know, when I, when I found out you hadn't seen it and you were wanting to watch, I was like, Oh man, we got to definitely make a podcast episode, especially early on here in, in our first season of the weekly real podcast. And so um, I'm hoping you liked it. It sounds like you did. Yeah, for, for sure. I'm, I think out of the recommendations that you, or out of the movies that you shared with me on the podcast so far, I, this might have to be my favorite. Really? Is it because mm-hmm. of the rewatchability and kind of how fun it is or? Yeah. Yeah. Because it, yeah, the rewatchability, like I said, I mentioned Forrest Gump and I feel like Forrest Gump is a very rewatchable movie. And so Catch Me If You Can falls into that same category. Yeah, because I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio around this time was or in in the middle of his prime. Um, Tom Hanks was still in the kind of like the latter half of his prime, but he was still, I mean, he was still in uh, big, huge movies, you know. Um, and so 2002, um, like Leo right after this had The Aviator. He um, obviously had Titanic a few years before that. Tom Hanks. Did you, oh, did you know Leo was almost going to be uh, Spider-Man instead of Tommy McGuire? Really? No, I didn't know that for like uh, were, Sam Raimi. Yeah, they were about they were considering him, uh, but obviously went to Tommy McGuire later on. I think he he turned down Spider-Man. If 
if I'm remembering right. Uh, but watching this movie when he was like playing teenager to like a younger version and all like his energetic stuff, I was like, oh man, Liam might have been a good Spider Man like in the early 2000s. Yeah, because the first Spider-Man came out in 2002, right? Yeah, 2002. Yeah, so maybe that's why yeah, he was probably filming Catch Me If You Can with Spielberg and Tom Hanks. That's probably why he uh, turned it down. Yeah, maybe. Oh, man. Well, well, I'm glad you did like this film. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, like when you kind of have that expectation like, oh, I can't wait for Jeremy to watch this film. Maybe sometimes expectations um, kind of don't live. It doesn't live up to the expectations. And so I'm glad that you did enjoy it because that's pretty much why we started this podcast to begin with. So, Jeremy, uh, now that we've kind of um, kind of got a pretty good overview of uh, what we, you know, what our thoughts were on Catch Me If You Can. I just wanted to discuss a couple of topics, a, f- a couple of fun topics, actually, uh, related to Catch Me If You Can. And so uh, the first topic that I thought of that would be pretty fun to talk about is um, basically related with Frank Abagnale's roles. And so in Catch Me If You Can, Frank Abignale uh, <laughs> Jr. Uh, portrayed a substitute teacher, an airline pilot, a secret service agent, a doctor, and a lawyer. And so, Jeremy, I wanted to ask you this. Which role was your favorite and why? I would have to say uh, when he was a doctor. Because, well, one, he named himself Dr. Connors. Because if anyone didn't catch it, it was a Marvel reference specifically to the Spider-Man villain, um, the Lizard. Which is funny because I just mentioned that Leo was supposed to play (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man. It's all connected. (laughs) Yeah, it's all connected. And yeah, so he played Dr. Connors. And obviously that was kind of like the almost the turning point where, you know, he meets Brenda and Amy Adams's character and he had to stick with that role for a while cuz like and that ultimately was basically his downfall that that uh that role because he couldn't uh change his name yeah cuz i mean you know when you kind of commit to you know someone that you like especially if you're talking about marriage and then you know it was pretty much a small family it was just uh it was Brenda? Brenda's her name, right? I, I'm yeah, Brenda. Okay, I'm having a brain fart just now. Uh, but Brenda and then her parents. It was basically just them three, and you could tell that Brenda's dad was already skeptical from the from the get go because of the coincidence that oh he went to Berkeley Law or whatever. And I was like, <gasps> <gasps> that whole reaction was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Dude, my, I remember watching it for the first time. My, my heart, I was like, oh, dang, I wonder how he gets out of this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, when he was like actually telling the truth, he's like, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. I'm just a guy that really loves your daughter. I'm like, oh, shoot, here we go. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, then it, and then it became a line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that was so good. Oh, man. Well, the my favorite um, role... 
uh, that uh, Frank Abagnale Jr. played. Uh, it's got to be the airline pilot uh, because I feel like that was the catalyst for like, I feel like the film because uh, first you, you get to see those scenes uh, where it kind of gives you the best insight on, you know, how he ran all of his check fraud, ske- uh, the the schemes that he did. I just thought it was pretty cool just to kind of get gain some insight in that regard. Um, also, I felt like during that time he was a pilot, he was honing you know, those skills. Um, and I just thought it was pretty cool. Like when they were doing that montage, you know, me and montages, right, Jeremy? Mm-hmm. I love how that they show that montage of how he would create these fraudulent checks by, you know, him using, you know, those Pan Am model airplanes, uh, you know, in the bathtub or whatever, just so that he, you know, grab that logo in the, on the, on the tail section of the, the model airplanes. And then he would just basically just stick it on the top left, of each check and then i remember that i just thought it was pretty funny he used even used the bible just so that he can press it down and iron it down um so and then he just would lay out each of those checks in a row i was like dang that's a lot of checks i know man he stole a lot of money i didn't expect <laughs> it especially it was like the 60s too so oh i know yeah four uh over four mil uh then is like uh probably what 10 like yeah. today at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I also thought like when he was uh, an airline pilot, I thought it was pretty like genius that he was able to fly for free as a deadhead. Um, I mean, obviously he found out kind of by accident, he didn't know what a deadhead was. And he was like, yeah, that's, that's me. Uh, but what is a deadhead again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, Oh, can you uh, show me where the deadhead is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Or and he was wondering where the, was it the jump jump seat or what? I forgot what they call it. The, the yeah, seat. I don't know. Yeah. It was pretty funny. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. And then I don't know. I just thought the motivation for him being a pilot was just basically so that he could get his parents back together. And so I felt like his motivations were, even though he was committing crimes, just like we were talking about earlier, I just felt like, uh, you know, his motivations were um, family oriented. He really just wanted to get his dad back um, to where he was, you know, when he was a valued member of the Rotary Club. Yeah, because he never gave up on getting his mom and dad back together until his dad, like, like for sure, like, we can't, we're never getting back together type type of conversation yeah I know. and unfortunately and that was the last time he saw him i know i, I felt so bad and oh man i wanted i did want to give an honorable mention uh for the secret service agent but i'll get into that portion of it uh, a little bit later on in the episode so um i thought he was really good when he played the secret service agent anyway let's move on to the next topic and i just thought that this this next topic was uh, a pretty fun one and so uh in Catch Me If You Can, Frank Frank Abagnale Jr. had to use movies and TV shows to kind of act the part. And so, Jeremy, if you start in a fictional story, so not you know anything related to Frank Ag- Abagnale Jr., but just if you were able to play a fictional story playing a Frank Abagnale type role, which occupation would you? choose to portray and which movies or tv shows feel free to list as many as you want of either 
or both uh, would you study to play that role? So the first one I thought about, or the first occupation if for this fictional version of me, it would be like police officer. Because I feel like that's such a... There's so many police shows out there, for example, or police TV shows and movies. Uh, but some of the ones I would use to study for the role would be End of Watch with Jake Ooh. Gyllenhaal, Michael Ooh. Pena. That's very... That was that's a dark one though, <laughs> not not very uh, fun. Uh, there's the rookie, I think is a pretty lighthearted, fun uh, TV show. And then I was I would say like Law and Order, and any of the Law and Orders. Oh, <laughs> yeah, dude, I feel all, like especially like, those all million uh, seasons and all the episodes. <laughs> yeah, all the variations. Like, yeah, they use so much like the. Like the bravado that the the characters have is very like stereotypical cops type thing. (laughs) So especially in like Law and Order. So yeah, I would definitely like study those to kind of get that that uh, into that mindset. Well, it's a good mix, too, because, you know, like you said, you get like the dark aspect of it. Obviously, you know, when you're in law enforcement, you know, there's going to be some dark times. And so, you know, you got to kind of be you need to learn how to portray that aspect of of being a, a playing a police officer, but also like kind of the mundane stuff in the, you know, like conversational stuff or, you know, just obviously do you con- like the member in in catch me? You know, do you concur <laughs> like the whole doctor thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some police lingo. <laughs> yeah, apparent, but very often in these shows, they don't do the whole Miranda rights. <laughs> like they don't <laughs> play the whole thing. They, especially in Law and Order, man, they just like kind of walk off and it fades. Doon, uh, doon. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, for me, I just thought it would be pretty fun, only because I myself, in actual real life, have just gotten uh, back to you know just being active in the stock market. You know, just kind of dabbling a little bit. And so I just thought it'd be pretty fun to play a stockbroker. And here are the movies that I wanted to, uh, I guess, study. And the first one, I mean, we're talking about Leonardo DiCaprio. Had to throw in The Wolf of Wall Street, obviously. I wanted mm-hmm. to throw uh, study Boiler Room. Uh, have you seen The Boiler Room yet? I have not. Uh, that one actually has a lot of um, name actors. It's mainly Giovanni uh, Ribisi, but... Vin Diesel's in it. He's got a kind of a cameo. Ben Affleck, uh, Nia Long. Uh, there's some other actors, uh, but it's it's really good. Uh, Trading Places, uh, kind of more of a co- comedic one. We got Eddie Murphy. We got Dan Aykroyd. Uh, and so you got a little bit of lighthearted stuff. And also, and I'm kind of ashamed to admit because I haven't seen this movie yet, but I feel like if I want to be a stockbroker, I definitely got to watch wall street mm. and so uh gotta study gordon gecko and so maybe that might be an episode um in the future um i just might just want to watch that just in general um because of me trying to get to know uh, the stock market a little bit more uh but yeah that's kind of the one that i thought of dang yeah those those are good ones for sure dang I'm like, do you really want to be like uh jordan belford <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I don't know. Not all of Jordan Belfort, because I mean, wow, that was yeah. a that was a crazy a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I don't think I want to be doing quaaludes. <laughs> as long as you can sell someone a pen. Yeah. Oh man, but definitely. Uh, I kind of, you know what? I might want to rewatch all of the movies that I just mentioned and. Uh, well, which of the movies have you not seen out of Wolf of Wall Street, Boiler Room, Trading Places, and Wall Street? Uh, I've only seen Wolf of Wall Street. Really? So I definitely got to check out those other ones, too. All right. Well, maybe we might uh, make a podcast episode. Well, you know, we'll definitely talk about that in the future. And maybe we might, that might be an episode, maybe in season two. We'll see. Well, we've gotten to the part uh, in the podcast where we try to include you the audience because this is why me and jeremy do this podcast is for for you guys and so uh this week's audience question is what is your favorite leonardo dicaprio role and so jeremy uh do you have a favorite uh leo Leo dicaprio role well yeah you already mentioned it it's uh jordan belford in wolf of wall street he's absolutely crazy <laughs> in that movie his facial expressions are hilarious at the same time but there's there's just this very he's just so entertaining to watch in that movie oh no i agree uh that's definitely up there for me as well i mean there's so many good leo roles um i kept going kind of back and forth between um the one um jordan belfort uh, but also, you know, thinking about, you know, ha- him portraying Howard Hughes or obviously Jack from Titanic. That's always uh, an iconic one. But I guess my favorite one is from The Departed, where he plays uh, Billy Costigan. And I don't even want to kind of get into the movie because I know that you still haven't watched it. Yeah, apparently I'm missing a lot of Leo movies. <laughs> Man, yeah. I remember in the mid 2000s, I kind of. Well, when I was still renting DVDs uh, through Netflix, I w- kind of went on a Leo kick. Um, and so I watched a lot of Leo DiCaprio movies and definitely The Departed right around, what was it 2006, I think, when it came out? Uh, that was definitely one of them. And uh, it was one of those movies that I definitely rewatched because it was so good. So that also might be a future episode. So we got to stay tuned for that. Um, and so, um, Please definitely share uh, with both me and Jeremy what your favorite Leo DiCaprio role is. Uh, please feel free to drop us a tweet on the Twitters. And uh, what is our handle again on Twitter, Jeremy? So check us out at Weekly Real. Yes. And also, um, if you want to give us more of a long form answer, you could always email us. And uh, what is that email address? So it's a uh, weekly real myspace.com, right? Uh, so close, man. You're, you're almost there. I think almost. one of these episodes, we're going to get it. Uh, but actually, it is weekly real pod at gmail.com. And so, uh, Jeremy, let's go ahead and take a quick break. All 
All right. Welcome back from the break. And Jeremy, we are uh, at that point in our episode where we're talking about the Weekly Reel Awards. And so uh, the first award of the night is actually your choice. So you can either give out the Marissa slash, uh, I'm sorry, the Marissa Tomei slash Aunt May Award for what has aged well, or you can hand out the Happy Hogan Mullet Memorial Award for what has not aged well. And so, uh, Jeremy, which award are you handing out uh, for this first one? Well, I first I want to talk about what has not aged well. And I think it's like airport security in this movie, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it's like, how did yeah. he get through like all the gates and all that stuff? Because especially post 9-11, which obviously this doesn't take take place in but the movie was made in 2002 or released in 2002 it's like it's kind of weird to see like people just walking around the airport willy-nilly and i'm like man that is something that definitely doesn't happen nowadays maybe with covid it goes by faster because no one's like flying right now (laughs) but yeah it was it was kind of strange to see that uh, but in terms of like what has aged well, I, mm-hmm. I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. It's just the movie in in general. I guess it kind of feels because I meant like I keep mentioning Forrest Gump. Uh, it feels like a late '90s movie in a way that that vibe. Um, but just watching it in 2020, it it seems timeless. The performances, uh, there's not like huge there's not like cgi that's like in your face like like horrible cgi none of that stuff so it's like everything holds up and the story and the characters really hold up well yeah i mean it it totally makes sense because i mean really this uh this movie just relies heavily on the writing and uh the acting and so um yeah it, it helps that most of the film that was portrayed did happen in real life. And so obviously there's going to be some Hollywood exaggerations, but I feel like the exaggerations are more for entertainment value, uh, just to kind of switch things up, uh, especially with the pacing and everything. And I think uh, Steven Spielberg just did a really good job with the casting, um, especially, you know, getting Leo in his prime. Tom Hanks is just an all-time actor and you start off with that and you have supporting actors as good as like Christopher Walken. Come on now. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And all the cameos that were, we'll definitely mention a little bit later. Oh, I know. Well, yeah, good, good teaser. And we'll definitely get into uh, those cameos in a little bit. And so um, the award that I wanted to give out in this section was the happy Hogan mullet Memorial award. Uh, for what has not aged well. And it's actually similar to the the award that you gave in that I feel like the airline business as a whole has not aged well. First of all, Pan Am and TWA were long gone even before you were born, I think. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. I'm like, I'll roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to assume that these are actual airlines. <laughs> And they were for a time. I mean, Pan Am like bit the dust even before TWA did. But uh, uh, I think I want to say TWA eventually evolved into Southwest. Uh, don't quote me on that. Uh, I'm This is just going off the top of my head in terms of uh, life experiences. I didn't do any of the research. So 
don't kill me uh, audience on that but yeah pan am and tw are just long gone and uh do you remember that scene kind of later in the film when uh when frank needs to kind of get by the fbi agents because you know he wants to fly and so he just ends up recruiting stewardesses i felt like that whole scene just doesn't age well because obviously you know there's this you know like it should be like that feminist movement where you know it should be you know both male or men and women should be uh seen as equals and that definitely did not it was like a whole chauvinistic area <laughs> yeah like but at the same time there's there's that aspect of it but at the same time i don't think that was actually the, his greatest plan it 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 looked cool like in the movie in terms of like drama and all that stuff. But I don't think that was actually the best plan, especially like he's standing right behind them. Yeah. And like literally if that was his uh, plan for them to get the attention and not him, you would think they would like be walking far ahead and then he would be walking far back. I don't know. I was just thinking like, you know, it, it kind of drew the attention too close to him that, if the FBI's were looking in that direction, possibly, you know, possibly see this air. Like I was thinking, I was like, Oh man, this airline pilot has a lot of like, uh, flight attendants around him. Like, I wonder who he is. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, actually yeah. that's where I kind of disagree. And, I, and I'll get to the reasons why a little bit later, uh, in, in one of the later awards. Uh, but I felt like, uh, that was, I think the, the reason why he did that, obviously, you know, getting all of these, uh, well, flight attendants in front of him, like, I think that's what, what, what his shield was. And so, like, n- no one really would notice him, especially a bunch of guys in the FBI, because it's all guys. Mm, I see. Yeah. And actually, you know, you caught yourself. I caught myself just now. The last thing I wanted to mention of something that did not age very well is the term stewardess. <laughs> you, you were about to say stewardess and you caught yourself. You said flight attendant. And I kind of did the same thing because that term is just now extinct. You do not hear that at all. That term. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was it, it was kind of cringy just kind of hearing stewardess because yeah, you don't hear it anymore. Hmm. Didn't yeah. think about that, but yeah, it fits in line with the time of the the setting of the movie, I guess. Right. It, it definitely was uh, the norm back then in the 60s, especially. So, uh, Jeremy, let's go on to the next award. And the next award that we're going to be giving out is the Yinsen Award for Most Underrated Character. And so, Jeremy, who's your Yinsen Award winner? I would pick Frank Abignall Sr., you know, Christopher Walken, man, like, I don't, I don't know if I've seen a lot of movies of that he's in. I probably have. I don't know. It's, it's weird. What have I seen him in? Pulp Fiction. Was, <laughs> yeah, besides Pulp Fiction. Like, I think he was in the rundown with The Rock. And then The Rock, like, shoots him later in the movie, I think. I, that was, like, one of the random movies that I've seen him in. Um, <laughs> not a bad movie, though. Uh, it is actually a good, uh, it's an underrated film. I think it's, it's pretty good. It's a nice action film. Yeah. But yeah, I felt like his character was so, um, so vital to the story, especially in the beginning, setting up uh Frank jr. Cause you can see like the similarities between the two, like um, 
especially with the necklace trick. It's like, oh, oh yeah. I think you dropped this outside. <laughs> and it was funny when um, when uh, when Frank Jr. was trying to do it in the beginning at the bank. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a fail. <laughs> yeah. And the manager, that dude, like, that, yeah, that dude just snuck behind. <laughs> I was like, oh, I forgot about that part in the movie. Yeah. So it kind of sucks that he ends up dying later on, like off screen also. But yeah, just uh, the amount of feels that you got between father and son in the movie. I really enjoyed. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, One thing I wanted to add to um, Frank senior is that remember that scene when they were talking at that fancy restaurant, uh, I just thought that was his best scene. Cause I really, really felt so bad for uh, Frank Sr. Um, because, you know, oh man, when he got emotional telling that story of how he initially met, you know, his wife um, in Mont Richard the first time, I was like, oh, and he started kind of breaking down just a little. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. the feels. You know what I just realized? It's like in the beginning of the movie, you know, uh, Frank Jr., he's very innocent, while his dad's kind of like the more scheming one. They mm-hmm. almost switch places by the end of the movie. Or, you know, by the time, you know, he's, uh, I think he's a postal office worker, and then mm-hmm. um, Frank Jr.'s, I think, what, is he a doctor at this point? Yeah, because he was he was yeah. like, I'm getting he's married. Married, and all that yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when he so, had the jacket, he was like, dude, what's what's up with your coat? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, dang. That's messed up, man. But anyway, uh, like, they they almost, like, switched places in a way. Like, uh, Frank Sr. was a little bit more humble at that point in time. And so it was kind of, it was really nice to see, like, man, there were, like, reflections of each other at different points in time. That's a definitely good, uh, that's definitely a good point. I actually didn't um, make that connection in terms of them switching places. But yeah, you're completely right because I mean, Frank Jr. Learned a lot of the, you know, his schemes from, from his dad. Uh, how about you? Who's your most underrated character? All right. So, well, my Yinsen award winner is actually a tie uh, because I feel like it is uh, between, I, I just thought it was pretty fun to kind of give it to just some random bit characters. So it's a tie between, the very begin, kind of the beginning when that high school football player, the one that bullies them, uh, and then uh, I think they called him Captain Carlson. It was that uh, that pilot that uh, Frank Jr. sees in in that hotel lobby. And so, let me get into the high school football player. The reason why I say this character, who doesn't even have a, a name, <laughs> it's not credited with a name on IMDb, is because, well, he was the one that bullied Frank Jr pushing him into the lockers and he was making fun of Frank jr. For wearing a suit and tie. And as he was kind of walking away, I don't know if you noticed it in the throwaway line. He's like, yeah, he looks like the substitute teacher. Oh and yeah. Then, I caught that. And then Frank jr. Just rolls with it. <laughs> and I was like, and then he just goes right into the substitute teacher role. And I felt like that, that, you know, like kind of uh, adrenaline, adrenaline rush of, you know, just playing someone that you're not. Um, I felt like that was like the the catalyst that got it started, like the whole thing. And dude, he was able to impersonate a substitute teacher for a full week. Yeah, 
Dude, that would be crazy. Imagine you teaching your your class <laughs> for a whole week. I know, especially Planning since field he was, trips. <laughs> I know, because he was only supposed to be what sixteen still. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Well, the reason why also why I, I gave uh, part of the Yinsen Award to Captain Carlson is because, I mean, without without Frank Junior seeing. Um, how all the people kind of gravitated uh, uh, around Captain Carlson and how well they treated him because of the uniform. I felt like then he wouldn't be getting these ideas and uh, of becoming a pilot and just kind of portraying that character. And so I feel like he was able to commit all this check fraud and, you know, cashing all those payroll checks because he ended up, you know, uh, playing the role of a pilot. And so Captain Carlson is definitely uh, my second winner of the Yinsen Award. Dang, very, uh, I didn't expect that. <laughs> yeah, kind of random, right? <laughs> well, in truth, you get you took my, my winner, so I had to kind of, <laughs> I had to go with it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, our next award is the Why is Gamora Award uh, for favorite quote. And Jeremy, do you have a favorite quote? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that my favorite role that Frank did was the doctor. And so that the that you know, he was learning the the role of his doctor through through shows, right? And you know, he was just following whatever he learns on there and he's so when he's actually face to face with, you know, blood coming out of this kid's leg from like oh. a bicycling accident. <laughs> he has no idea what to do. Besides, you know, what he learned on TV. <laughs> and, you know, in, in TV, it's all edited and all that stuff. And they cut away to random shots of all that stuff. So, you know, he just knows some some lingo, I guess. I guess barely any because he's talking to Dr. Harris. Because he's like, oh, he was in a bicycling accident. And Frank's like, Dr. Harris talking to the other doctor next to him. <laughs> Do you concur? It's like, uh, yes. It's like, do you concur? It's like, concur with what, sir? <laughs> was like, so I was good. dying, man. Because I was so like, you're cringing at the same time, but at the same, like, it's so funny because, <laughs> like, what else can he say in that moment? And afterwards, I think is equally as funny is when Doctor Harris is like. Oh man, I think I messed up. I should have yeah. concurred. <laughs> concurred. Yeah, that was stupid, but that was awesome. Oh yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. Oh man. So Jeremy, my why is Gamora Award winner uh, goes to Frank Senior for this quote that he gave. It was right around the time when he was about to go into the uh, the bank, and he had Frank Junior as his driver. And he was like uh, basically trying to give him some last minute instructions. And so in this scene, Frank Jr. I'm sorry, Frank Sr. is basically saying, you know why the Yankees always win, Frank? And Frank Jr. goes, well, because they have Mickey Mantle. And Frank Sr. goes, no, it's because the other teams can't stop staring at the damn pinstripes. And I feel like because this quote was embedded in Frank Jr.'s mind throughout the whole thing, I felt like this was the catalyst in terms of him being 
a pilot because again, I mentioned it in, in the previous award because he saw Captain Carlson in that um in that hotel lobby and he was being treated like like you know just with royalty. You know, they rolled out the red carpet basically for him and you know all the all the girls, all the uh, uh the the kids were even like, oh my goodness, are you a real life pilot? And I felt like he used that basis of the um, the whole pinstripes because everyone just looks at the uniform um, as you know, like like the fundamentals of him playing these different roles. Because I felt like once he put on that pilot suit, everyone started treating it treating him better. They weren't looking at it had at him as like a little kid or whatever. And I felt like he even used that whole thing. And uh, we were talking about the stewardesses earlier. I felt like he used and applied this quote for recruiting all those stewardesses as, as um, what do you call it? Distractions, because you know what? They're going to look at the pinstripes. And in that particular scene, it was the the girls that were the pinstripes Mm. and they were just ignoring him. So that's why. Yeah, it's definitely all tied in. It's it's pretty crazy how um I don't know if that's what Steven Spielberg had in mind, but that's how I interpreted it. <laughs> <laughs> I did have an honorable mention though, uh Jeremy, just to kind of keep it a little bit uh throw it back to on the lighter side. And this is actually a Carl Hanratty quote, and it's actually his one and only joke. And he goes, <laughs> knock knock. <laughs> Who's there? Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. I was dying though. I was like, that is funny though. <laughs> and he tried to say it a second time, but he's like, knock, knock. That's my that's like my best Tom Hanks. <laughs> I don't know what accent that is. It was I don't know. New York? I don't know. <laughs> some something. something. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh, you know what? Let's go to the next award. And you know, in Catch me if you can. There were so many cameos. And so I felt like it's only right to hand out an award for the Stanley Award for Best Cameo. So, Jeremy, who is your winner? So uh, I chose a really super abstract. I don't think anyone would have caught this Um, because at first I'm like, oh, shoot, they have like uh, Amy Adams in this. And I'm like, okay, but she's there for a while. Uh, Jennifer Gardner's there for like some reason. I'm like, what the heck? Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I saw this actor in it, I knew I had to put him in my best cameo. And it's Nick Zano. And Ooh. if you never heard of him before, it's because, uh, well, at least I know him from Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, which is basically like the DC superhero show. And he plays Nate, uh, also the superhero Steel. He's like, um, you know, part of the main cast there. But basically, he he only says one thing. Or And Leo, it, it, I think he was in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. And he was having that house party. Yeah. Right. And he's walking through the house. And um, Frank sees him. He's like, James. It's like stop messing with the the record player or whatever like that, and James is played by Nick Zano. I'm and he's like, oh sorry or whatever, and then that's it. <laughs> it's like literally <laughs> one line, and I look I went back to his IMDb just to check that it was him. It is him. 
and it was his first credit. It's his first credit on IMDb. Oh, wow. I do remember that scene. I just didn't know who that was. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, what the heck? That's him. I don't think anyone else would have noticed, but I, I noticed you, Nick. I noticed you. <laughs> wow, that is a very random one. <laughs> Props <laughs> to you on that one. Oh, my goodness. So obscure. Anyway, my winner for uh, the Stanley Award uh, goes to Dr. Meredith Gray, Ellen Pompeo, who plays Marcy, the flight attendant, uh, who happens to be... Actually, it was more of like a hostess. It was when he was um, like taking that first flight. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Dr. Meredith Gray from Grey's Anatomy basically just has that one scene. Well, actually two scenes because they end up hooking up afterwards. It, it was that girl. Like they, oh, <laughs> yeah, it was. No, yeah, he he pulls the uh, whole, whole whole necklace trick on that, and then I think that's what gets them to sleep together. After like later on, they cut to them, you know, making noises and stuff, <laughs> just shaking some tables. That's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did have a, a an obscure honorable mention, only hmm. because we talked about this actor. In the very beginning of this episode, I don't know if you noticed this, but my honorable mention for the Stanley Award for Best Cameo is Sean Connery. I did not catch him. Oh my goodness. So, okay. No so worries. it was that part of the scene where, um, I guess, remember? Uh, oh, oh, I mean, besides Frank- the the James Bond stuff. There right? you go. Yes. Yeah. So Frank Jr. Uh, to tell the audience is trying to interview like this Pan Am retired pilot or he's like basically trying to ask him a bunch of questions so so he can improve his schemes. We'll just say. And then, you know, the guy he's interviewing is not really paying attention, but he was like kind of reading a newspaper article about how uh, there's this guy who's getting away with uh, all this fraud and everything. And they were talking about how he's the James Bond of the sky and you know, Frank Jr. is like, oh, my goodness, James Bond of the sky. And so he decides to um, watch Goldfinger on at the at the movie theater. <laughs> and it, it's so sad. I remember watching this film on Saturday night. It was the same day that he ended up passing away. I just thought it was like, oh, my goodness, that's Sean Connery. <laughs> and I just thought it was pretty funny. And I was like, oh, man, I got to actually put this award in this episode. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely a good one. Yeah, yeah, he had the suit, the car, and everything. Yeah, I know. Yeah, the Aston Martin. Oof, man, that was nice. All right, let's move on to the next award. Uh, our next award is the Avengers Assemble Award for Favorite Scene. And Jeremy, dude, there were so many. Uh, I know it's kind of hard to narrow it down, but uh, did you narrow it down uh, for a winner? Yeah, it's when Frank encounters Hanratty for the first time. That's my favorite scene at the, where was he again? He was at the, at a motel hotel. Yeah. Yeah. He was at a hotel. Yeah. And he, you know, he kind of, he was in the bathroom and then he pretended to be a special agent, special agent, Barry Allen, <laughs> the flash, funny. The flash. <laughs> it all ties back to Nick Zano. He's in legends of tomorrow. It's like this whole superhero universe up in here. <laughs> I know. Seriously. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was definitely my favorite scene because literally he was standing right in front of him. Like Hanratty was right there and 
just the that level of tension that you get in that scene. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, here, here's my wallet and all that stuff. And he was about to open it. It's like, oh, see, there's my partner uh, walking, <laughs> walking, walking the into the car. car. <laughs> Dude, that was so good. It timed it perfectly. That's why that scene, it, it's, I think, if anything, like, when I think of the, the title, Catch Me If You Can, that scene, like, really, like, encompasses that, that um, you know, that game of cat and mouse. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Actually, I remember, I actually did pick the same scene. Uh, but I'll get into another scene um, when I kind of reveal, uh, I guess, my second winner, I guess. I also wanted to highlight in that scene, I like how Frank Jr. actually turns it around on Carl. He's like, uh, can I see some identification? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, that was so good. But yeah, that was my favorite part in terms of when um, it was the, the timing with his quote unquote partner and how he was bringing that old guy in. In, in, it's like oh you got here just five minutes too late mm-hmm. would have been a hell of a caller <laughs> he was so good he flipped the switch really quick i know i wonder how he knew to take those labels and put them in the wallet i think i i would assume that he has like a a dummy wallet at all times i feel like he's smart enough to like do that because you, you know when you have a wallet and if, if it's just carrying it's flat and empty. But if it, if you have something, if if someone wants to like steal your wallet, they're gonna steal like the one that looks like a brick, right? Yeah, that's so. true. And I just thought it was uh, pretty cool. I mean, these little Easter eggs in the remember in the uh, Rotary Club when he's uh, when Frank Jr. is watching his dad give his speech or whatever. He was playing with the uh, the label with the uh, on the bottle, and there was like several scenes where he's like pulling labels off of different containers uh, or whatever i just thought it was pretty fun and obviously that was the fun uh one because obviously he got what like room service and he had all the labels pulled out for like the ketchup bottle and all the other Mm -hmm. ones dang that was a good scene though yeah definitely yeah that was definitely my winner as well but i my second winner since i do gotta give uh i have to give um another scene the Avengers Assemble War, because there's so many good scenes. My honorable mention was uh, the one where Frank meets Cheryl Ann, uh, J- Jennifer Garner. I just thought it was pretty fun. Well, first of all, I mean, during that time, Jen Garner was like, that was like during her prime. I, I feel like with, with Alias, uh, Electra, Daredevil, Daredevil, <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing. And um, I just thought it was pretty I don't know. It was kind of a surprising turn. I was like, oh, she's a hooker. I'm like, all right. But I feel like the scene just kicks into high gear when they're talking about the negotiation. You know, they're trying to negotiate a price. Obviously, they settle on a thousand dollars. And I just thought it was genius the way they did this in that. I don't know if you noticed when when Frank Jr. is like flipping through his checks, he has different uh, differing amounts. Did you notice that there was one for $1,000 even? And that was obviously the price that they agreed upon was $1,000. Oh, I didn't notice, actually. When you rewatch it, there's one for $1,000. But he was smart enough to use one for $1,400. And so he's like, well, I have this cashier's check for $1,400. 
And, and, and obviously Cheryl Ann is like, well, why don't you just endorse it to me? And then, you know what I could do is I can give you $400 and we'll call it. Even. So basically yeah. he gets paid $400 for sleeping with a hooker. Yeah. He got the $400 <laughs> cash right there. I know exactly. So I, I just thought that that scene was pretty smart. Um, even though it's like one of those, like kind of throwaway scenes, it seems like, um, because it really didn't have any like bearing on the plot, but I just thought it was a fun scene and, you know, plus it had a cameo in it uh, with Jennifer Garner. Um, so yeah, that was my honorable mention. Nice. And so Jeremy, we have finally reached our, you know, both of our favorites part of the episode where we talk about bragging rights and we're now guessing the Rotten Tomatoes score. And so uh, for those of you who are checking our podcast out for the very first time, uh, me and Jeremy have this um, ongoing game where we come up with our own guesses of what the Rotten Tomatoes score was for a particular movie. Uh, We have these guesses beforehand. So um, Jeremy hasn't heard mine and I haven't heard his. And uh, we have this running tally um, as we go along with each episode. And so um, currently, Jeremy is up 11 to 8. And so I need some catching up to do. And so uh, for my guess for the Rotten Tomatoes for Catch Me If You Can, I'm guessing a 91. Uh, How about you? Man, I guess the same thing, man. Oh, <laughs> I guess 91 also. Oh, shoot. I guess uh, we both get the point by default, but let's see how close we were. <laughs> oh, my what? goodness. Uh, so anticlimactic. But uh, we'll look it up. I, I, and um, I'm not lying because, look, I can show Ken right here. Oh, I know. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I have my notes. I mean, I can't show it to you because, you know, I'm using my computer. <laughs> So, um, but let's see what Catch Me If You Can got. All right, 2002. And well, we weren't too far off. So with a tomato meter of 96%. Wow. Rotten Tomatoes liked it more than we did. Hmm. But we're actually closer to the audience score. <laughs> it, it, it goes along with my, the same theme of me being closer with the uh with the audience score and the audience score this time was 89%. So we're firmly right in the middle of that. So I feel like we had pretty good guesses. Yeah, I think this is the first time we ever guessed the same score. Yeah. Yeah, I remember we've had one tie, but it was because we were we had I don't know, we were off by 2 points and and, and it, the guess or the actual tomato meter was right in be, in between our scores. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is the first time in it's like kissing your sister, I guess. Uh, not that I know of how, what that feels like, because I'm the only child, and Jeremy doesn't know that feeling either, because he only has a brother. I don't have a sister. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess this updates the score. I mean, with ties, we generally just give a point each. So Jeremy holds his three-point lead, but it's now 12-9 to nine going into next week. And so... Uh, before we get into next week's episode, let's give out our final award of the evening. Uh, the I Love You 3000 Award, where we rate Catch Me If You Can uh, on a rating of uh, on a scale of one to three thousand. And so, Jeremy, how would you rate uh, Catch Me If You Can? So I would rate Catch Me If You Can 
27, 47. Actually, I was going to say 2747 <laughs> out of 3000, which is like 91%. Oh, I really, I really liked it. Oh, wow. Actually, you know what? It's funny. This was my movie and I really liked it. Your, your rating was actually higher than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, obviously we have different ratings. I feel like uh, 90, what you said, 91 or 2747, right? Yeah, so 91. I I agreed with my tomato guess. Yeah, I feel like that is actually more of like a 95 on a regular person scale-ish. Hmm. Don't you kind of agree? I feel like you're pretty tough on some movies sometimes. And I feel like a 91% equivalent is actually really good for you. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, it depends on some movies, but I really, really like this movie. I would definitely, I, I could definitely see myself re rewatching this every now and again. Yeah, especially when it comes of becomes available on a streaming service instead of us having to find a place. I know, seriously. And if this plays like in theaters, this is a pretty good movie to watch. And like, if any, any anyone wanted to see like a fun. DiCaprio movie that hasn't seen this, I would definitely recommend this. Definitely agree. But uh, that being said, my rating, which happens to be a little bit lower, is a 2712, which loosely translates to 90.4%. And so, um, I obviously, I feel like this is one of my favorite movies as well. And just because of that rewatchability, it's just a fun movie, entertaining, and... Um, so speaking of fun and entertaining movies, I mean, next week, Jeremy, do you want to preview episode 16? So next week, we're going to be finishing up phase two of the MCU with a dance battle between the Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers, and Ant-Man. So next week, like I said, Guardians of the Galaxy, we're going to be talking about that, all the fun Kevin Bacon loving stuff over there along with Avengers Age of Ultron. Who knows? We, it might not be the best Avengers movie. It might be even be the worst Avengers movie, if I'm really thinking about it. And Ant-Man, the introduction of Paul Rudd. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm looking at, looking forward to that. Yes, again, I think I mentioned it on, uh, uh, on a preview for our last MCU film. I'm really just <laughs> really looking forward to seeing how our... Uh, MCU rankings even dif differ even more. Yeah, this is going to be a tough one too because there's some good movies in this. Ant Man's pretty good too. Age of Ultron. Uh, I I think I need to rewatch it because I feel like there is some really good stuff in there, but some definitely questionable decisions in that movie also. Yeah, I completely agree, and I I feel like I haven't seen Age of Ultron since. Um, Infinity War and Endgame, so I've I, I might like it a little bit more than I can remember, uh, a la the Dark World. <laughs> so we'll see if it gets a um kind of a bump up in terms of you know a, in a post Endgame world. We'll just say, I, yeah, I think it might, it yeah. might, yeah. But uh, before we get into next week, uh, Jeremy, do you have anything to plug for the upcoming week? So you can check me out on my YouTube channel, uh, Jeremy Pullen Barrett. The link will be in the description. Hopefully Ken adds, adds that. But yeah, I post my movie reviews and all that stuff on there. So uh, check it out. 
Yes, definitely check that out. I will definitely put the links on there. Um, definitely subscribe to his YouTube channel. Uh, for me, YouTube channel is still not up. I'm still, uh, I still don't have time to do any of that stuff yet, but I'm hoping things do change uh, in the near future. Uh, but until then, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at FreeKenA, and the spelling will be in the episode notes along with uh, Jeremy's links. And so, um, Jeremy, uh, any final thoughts on Catch Me If You Can uh, before we wrap up this episode? I think, yeah, this was definitely my favorite movie that you shared with me because I think the other movies, Pulp Fiction, really good. Uh, what was the other one? Fight Club. Fight Club, yeah. Definitely, like, I'm finally catching up on these movies that I should have watched, like, a long time ago. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm really glad I watched uh, Catch Me If You Can because this was definitely my favorite Oh, definitely. Out of the three. Yeah, definitely has that uh, rewatchability. And and you know what? Uh, we might do something similar um, for for next season. Uh, but you guys got to just stay tuned for that. And so, uh, you know what? Speaking of staying, to, uh, staying in tune with our podcast next week, again, like Jeremy said, we are going uh, into part four of our MCU Infinity Saga rewatch, where we're talking about uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, The Avengers, Age of Ultron, and uh, Ant-Man, well, the first one. And so I'm definitely looking forward to jumping back into that MCU universe. And we thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time on The Real. <laughs>